When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Morning, Kieran. How are you today? Uh, Irritatingly cheerful, as always, Kevin. Uh, (laughs) Tickety-boo and uh, raring to go. I've, I've never known you not tickety boo, Kieran. I just, I, I'm going to put this out to our listeners. What's what's one below tickety boo? Because I, I would I would I would say that's where I am this morning, Kieran. One below tickety boo, but which is much higher than I normally am, as I can tell by the look I'm getting from Ali as we speak. But <laughs> it's nice that you're tickety boo. It's one of the reasons the Baroness loves you so much. Uh, it's Questions Day, Kieran. We've got some interesting questions as always, but. We've also got those two news stories to catch up on that we were too scared to do properly uh, on Thursday because of that doleful email we got from producer <laughs> guy <coughs> about overrunning. I don't know why he worries so much. Our, our listeners have got very good attention spans, and it's not like he's paying us by the minute. Or was it, he's worried paying us? He's worried. <laughs> Did you know something I don't? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think what happens if you don't get paid and you charge time and a half for not getting paid? <laughs> I'll talk to my union rep. Um, the first story, Kieran, is about Everton. Things are just starting to get interesting at Everton. Just little stories that in isolation probably wouldn't mean much, but are just starting to build up one on the other to to maybe give people some concern. So what's the latest this week? Well, this, this is a story which was published in The Guardian, Um we don't know how accurate it is. Uh, the Guardian have said that they've spoken to people close to the matter, and it's the auditors have said we we don't want to audit Everton Football Club right. uh, anymore. Um, business relationships are just like personal relationships. There's normally been some sort of disagreement about something, and one of the parties says let's uh, let, let's call the whole thing off, um, but. Auditors normally stick around for a long, long time. Uh, I think the club has said, well, you know, audit, uh, audit rotation happens all the time. So therefore, there's, there's nothing to worry about. And uh, it's also, but, uh, yeah, this, this is a story which is uncorroborated. It's tittle-tattle. It's just people stirring the pot, mm. uh, which, which, seem, which seem to be a little bit, you know, a little bit tetchy. Um, and, and Everton do seem to be a bit tetchy at present um ever since the uh ever since the swap of the the sponsors uh, the shirt sponsors to mm. the to the uh Netherland Antilles based cryptocurrency casino based uh, which is registered in the Isle of Man they they seem to think that's yeah that's that's perfectly normal type of organization to deal with and some people are, are a little bit more uh, concerned about that um so, 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 why might the auditors uh, be twitchy? Um, and remember, this this is conjecture. 
it's it's in the Guardian. The Guardian are standing by it. Everton are standing by their position. So who um, who are the auditors, Kieran? Sorry to interrupt. Who are yeah, the auditors? The, the auditors are BDO. They're probably the I think they're the fifth or sixth biggest accounting firm in the country. Right. Um, it, auditing's a, a bit like football in that you've uh, in audit you've got a big four like football you've got a big six and then mm. there then there is quite a, a big step down in terms of revenue being generated but it doesn't mean that the people outside of the big six are or the big four are are you know are, are small fry in their own right just in the same way as you know newcastle villa leeds brighton palace yeah we, we're not we're not small fry we yeah you know, we're, um so 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 why might this be an issue well, again, you know, you're never quite sure how, how the article has been constructed, but it does make reference to the former business partner of the club owner, uh, Alicia Usmanov, uh, towards the bottom. And, and for people not familiar, uh, Alicia Usmanov uh, had, his, had his assets frozen by the UK government uh, at the start of March, following the uh, illegal war uh, by Putin uh, for against the people of Ukraine, um, and the Everton to, to, to give the club some credit fairly quickly said we are we're severing ties with uh, Mr. Usmanov, who one of his companies sponsored the women's teams shirts. Mm. He uh, he's got naming rights for the training ground. He's got uh, potential naming rights for the new stadium, um, so that that might be it. Uh, also, his his nephew was on the board uh, of Everton, and uh, he he resigned uh, for for health reasons. Uh, he he said uh, his nephew's also had his assets frozen by the UK government. His nephew w- was also subject to a to a charge for uh, assaulting somebody, um, which was which was dropped. Um, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, innocent until uh, etc. Um, <laughs> but it just makes you you wonder, uh, you know, how much was Mr. Usmanov going to contribute towards the new stadium? Everton have uh, had losses of four hundred million pounds over the course of the last four years. Uh, yeah, we all know that they've gone on a spending spree as far as the transfer market is concerned. Their their wage bill shot up very very quickly uh, since Mister Mashiri acquired the club, and there's nothing wrong with that, provided that funding is in a position to continue. Mister um, Usmanov does appear to. He seems to be a bit of a fan of uh, Vladimir Putin, um, which uh, which which yeah, immediately makes me feel I'm 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 not sure these judgments necessarily great. Mm. So 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 that's that's where we are. Um, it it could be something and nothing, but you know the the sponsor issue, the how is the club going to fund the new stadium, which which has never really been answered. There are stories circulating left, right and centre that there could be uh, an American bid for the club. Um, yeah, it, It's very much a case of watch this space as far as Everton are concerned. Yeah, if I could afford it, Kieran, I, I would contact our legal friend, Nick DeMarco, and ask him exactly what the legal status of innocent till etc. is. <laughs> See who is, where we stand with that. Um, how are auditors paid, Kieran? Is, is it a, a fee? Is it a percentage of turnover? And presumably, then, if PDO are not in the top four, they won't be charging as much as I presume. You know, something like Price Waterhouse Cooper or whatever, would they? 
Yeah, there is there is an agreed fee uh, between the auditors and the uh, and the client. Um, that that's normally broadly set in advance. Um, and again, it's a bit like yeah, you take your car for a service, and, and then and then you get, you get that phone call. You know, you, you can hear the mechanic sucking through his teeth and saying, <laughs> you know, "Big end's gone, mate." Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to upset you, sir. You're not planning on going all day this year, are you? Um, so, you know, if if the auditors find something during the course of their work which they feel warrants further investigation, they they'll have a quiet word with with the, the club or the company. No evidence, you know, yeah, you know, uh, Everton's audits have been signed off. You know, no 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 problems historically. So th- th- there's no indication, but. Uh, you know, I think the timing's a little bit unusual. Um, you know, Ever- Everton will have prepared their accounts already and, and the audit process will be taking place under normal circumstances. If the auditors have walked away, then who's going to replace them? They, you, you mentioned sort of, you know, the bigger firms, the likes of PricewaterhouseCooper, Ernst & Young, KPMG and Deloitte. Um, yeah, they, they, they could take over. They're also quite risk averse, though. So I think, it, it, you know, it is... It, it will be intriguing to see what happens as far as this is concerned. And you know, it could be that in a week's time we're saying, well, it was it was a storm in a teacup. BDO yeah. have, have now confirmed that they are there. But they, they wouldn't give a very definitive answer to The Guardian. Um, and and you know, if, if they had done that, then there wouldn't have been any need to, to run the story. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the trouble is, as with West Brom, parting company with their auditors football fans will put two and two together and make five won't they so we'll keep an eye on that one um, and then if you do put two and two together and make five then you probably need to be audited <laughs> very good yeah on the on the subject of uh big ends uh my relation <laughs> my relationship with ali was put into some jeopardy quite early on actually because ali's ali's a proper petrol head as was her father god rest his soul um and we I say we were having a conversation. I was listening to this conversation and the subject of uh, the big end came up between Ali and her dad. And I just went, I, I, don't, I, said, I don't understand that. Both ends of the car look the same size to me. Um, <laughs> and the weird, because I can't drive. The withering contempt I got from both of them made me feel, I'll, I'll go and make a cup of tea and see if I can find a way of getting back into this relationship. Um, the second story, Kieran, um, and it, re- it relates to a sacred cow. Mm. that we've been talking about quite a lot recently. Um, so this story came as uh, somewhat as a surprise to me, I have to say. Well, yes, uh, the, the EFL are effectively putting out to tender uh, some sort of relationship for getting rid of the 3pm blackout mm. and streaming matches, which are kicking <clears throat> off at that time. Now, this will kick in from... 2024-25, which is which makes sense because the EFL have an ongoing relationship with Sky, but equally importantly, they have an ongoing relationship with the Premier League for the League Cup. Now, I think it's yeah, we have discussed this broadly before. The 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 EFL League Cup, which which I I, I enjoy, but when, when we get knocked out, I don't I don't shed a tear. Yeah. Um it's it, it's in a bit of a, a lost place. Um, many, many of the EFL's own teams in the championship 
put out their reserve teams in, in the first round and they've been knocked out and you know people move on. So if the EFL's own clubs are not taking it hugely seriously, because from, from the perspective of a manager, their focus is getting promoted, you know, or getting into the playoffs in the championship. Um, we've seen all of the managers who have lost their jobs due to not getting knocked. It's nothing to do with being knocked out of the the, uh, the Carabao Cup, but not performing uh, as, as as much as the board would have liked in in the in the league table itself. So it's a competition which has has lost its way, but it is also very very lucrative. It, it generates between a third and a half of the EFL's TV income. The Premier League don't want it. Okay, yeah, let's you know the 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 big four clubs. Uh, sorry, the big six clubs um, definitely don't want it. They they want to play more matches in Europe because it comes down to money. Yeah, it's it's more lucrative. You get better TV rights. You can charge more prices, for, higher prices for tickets. You get more tourist fans turning up to to championship uh, ch- Champions League matches and so on. So. The EFL big clubs don't want it. The EF, sorry, the, the Premier League big clubs don't want it. The Premier League not big clubs don't tend to to try too hard unless they get to the quarter or semi finals, and then oh, they go, oh, well, yeah, it could be a could be a, a European place on, on the back of this. Mm. Um, and the Championship clubs themselves don't appear to be taking it that seriously. So it's, it's either going to go or it's going to be a trimmed down competition whereby if you qualify to play in Europe, you can either opt out or or you simply don't compete in it. Um, Or we could see uh, under 21 teams from Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea competing in that, but they already do that Mm. in in the Papa John's and they they tend to get tated. Mm. Uh, So, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a funny one. But if that's going to leave a big hole in EFL broadcast finances, streaming would appear to to fill that gap. Um, So there's two things. If we get rid of the 3pm blackout, how big is the pie going to be? How many streams? But I think more importantly, and and this is where uh, I think Andy Holt will, this this is the hill on which he is prepared to die. How is the money going to be split? if, if the money from individual matches is pooled and shared in some way with, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, say 75, 25 going to the home club, then I think that would, that would probably be acceptable to, to owners of small clubs. From the perspective of big clubs, they will take the view, well, if we, you know, if we are, uh, you know, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, Pompey, we've got big followings. If we sell lots of, uh, passes, uh, streaming passes to our fans. They're our fans, so therefore we should keep the money. And if you do that, it increases the gap between rich and yeah. poor. So it's 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 going to be a bun fight. There's no doubt about that. Everybody's going to do what's in their own best interests. Um, and, and we've always said, you know, self-interest is, is part of life. It's part of business. Um, it does have implications for the competitive balance of football uh both within divisions and between divisions though yeah i think we need to talk to andy holt about this because uh, he predicted this would happen he said uh, it was like salami tactics the afl were 
because initially streaming, of course, was only meant for overseas mm. fans who, who obviously couldn't see the game. And then it was uh, only ever going to be midweek games. And then it was Saturday games when there's an international break. And he said it was inevitable that this would happen. So I would be intrigued to get his views on that. Um, I'll let you do it, Kieran, because I haven't got the time. Because that's going to be a long conversation with Andy Holt. <laughs> uh, and it's certainly an interview we wouldn't be able to do live on the pod. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Because it will be like Kraftwerk. All you'll hear is bleeping, basically. <laughs> um, our first question comes from Kerry Kavanagh, uh, who probably only lives just down the road for me, if she's a Sutton United fan. Uh, Kerry Kavanagh says, Sutton United recently qualified for the Champions League in our home on the EA Sports FIFA game. Uh, uh, TV rights have become the greatest source of revenue for top football clubs. My kids and their friends know the game far more from EA Sports and similar games and spend 10 times more time on it compared to watching football on TV. Why aren't rights fees from EA and similar gaming companies as high as TV rights, given they account for so many impressions? Are they negotiated like TV rights? And will Sutton United benefit financially from their inclusion in the game and their incredible run to the Champions League? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, As far as the game's rights are concerned, uh, Electronic Arts uh, did have a deal with FIFA in which it was paying around about $150 million a year. Um, So a a sizable amount. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Uh, But compared to, as Kerry says, compared to the the TV rights, um, it it is small price. You know, the Premier League generates around about... Three three billion. Um, now, it then turns out that FIFA said, you know, we, we don't think that's enough money. We want one billion over four years. So wow. they want effectively a 60% increase. Um, but uh, EA have turned around and said, well, well we, it, we might therefore fly solo. We won't call it... Uh, uh, yeah. FIFA 23, because you're, you're paying for intellectual property. Now, you're also, on top of that, you you have uh, deals between the games producer and the individual clubs and leagues. So as far as the Premier League is concerned, there is a collective agreement uh, between all 20 clubs. The Premier League negotiates on behalf of, of the 20 clubs and then effectively splits that money evenly. As far as Sutton United are concerned, I don't know the exact position. Uh, it, you know, it could be that the National League um, will, will be doing that distribution. So Sutton will receive some money because it is their badge, their logo, yeah. their intellectual property, which is being used. Um, as far as the players are concerned, I think there's a separate issue. I know that uh, I think FIFA Pro, which is the, the trade union, of uh, of football players, it is it is looking at uh, are, are our members getting a right return on that? Um, in other European leagues, if we take a look at Serie A, um, the the league doesn't negotiate; it's down to individual clubs. And I think Juventus refused to sign up; they didn't feel that they were being offered enough money, and they went off and became the the poster boys for another computer game. So it, it gets it, it gets quite intriguing. Um, so Sutton, Sutton United will uh, benefit for, from this um, because it's, it's, it's their rights which are being used. I, I, you know, I don't think it will be a substantial sum of money, but it's, it's a classic case of, of 
every little helps. I, I, I noticed you assumed that Kerry was a girl's name, a woman's name. Did I? You did. You referred to Kerry as she. And, yeah, I, oh, I, I, and the reason I mentioned that, because um, we used to have a left back called Kerry Mayo, who played for Brighton, who married a girl called Kerry. <laughs> which, really? which meant that the the only one Kerry Mayo song became somewhat <laughs> confused. <laughs> Kerry, Kerry, oh, really? That's complicated. Yeah, I, 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 I apologise to Kerry if Kerry's not a woman. Just, just, just had the the way she referred to her kids yep, watching yeah. w- watching ra- way too much time uh, playing the game. Uh, just made me assume that Kerry was a mum. I, 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 I don't know. I'm in a postmodern feminist quandary now I've, I've, <laughs> I might have upset male carries and female carries and mothers and and uh, it could be a father who's concerned about oh gee, Kieran what are you doing to me I, um, I didn't mean to overcomplicate things that's, that's right Kerry to be fair I'm blaming the Kerry who married another Kerry that's, yes uh, yeah yeah I, oh god how many Kerry gold jokes did the best man do at the wedding yeah <laughs> uh, uh I would have gone for a London Kerry if I were that way inclined, but then, <laughs> then all my family would have got cross saying, it's Kerry. Yes, absolutely. It's just, just Kerry. Um, we have two questions this week, Kieran, that are, are about things that we've covered before on the pod, but I'm happy to ask them again. I think if we can keep the answers quite brief. Yeah. But I'm happy to ask again for, for new listeners and as, as a refresher. Um, and the first one comes from Jay Mathams. I could be a male J, could be a female J. I don't know. I, I don't want to get. I don't, it could be a. But well, no, don't say. Oh no. Uh, I don't want to get to a situation where it's like we're sending questionnaires out. Like, <laughs> like, uh, what insurance do clubs take out on their players? E.g., Liverpool insuring Salah. The premiums must be insane, as is the excess. I should think it'd be even more insane after his hat trick performance mm. uh, this week. But. Uh, it's a question we are often asked, Kieran, and we have discussed. So just a quick uh, answer for Jay would be great. Sure. Um, as far as uh, uh, clubs are concerned, you you have effectively critical injury insurance, uh, which is uh, which involves yeah, termination of employment, in effect, on inability. The premiums on the, those are very very high. Uh, yeah, we, we were talking on the on the Thursday show about uh, uh, Enoch uh, and, and Weymouth. At Brighton, you know, having to finish at twenty-four, and there's an awful lot of players who uh, who this would potentially impact. Um, so that's why some clubs just bite the bullet and effectively put money aside. But you know, if if you're dealing with the likes of Salah, Harry Kane, Haaland, and so on, uh, you you might take out an, a policy. Um, you can also have insurance for late or non-payment of transfer fees. Um, and that that is sometimes taken out either by clubs or by the likes of Macquarie, um, who might be uh, providing uh, discount factoring on on those transfer fees. And the third type you'd perhaps be looking at specific to football is is business interruption insurance. And and there yeah. were many many clubs who did claim, and and it's I think it was very noticeable that the the uh, the payouts on those policies were all capped at two point five million pounds. Although I believe that some clubs might be going back and doing an Oliver impersonation and, and asking for more. <laughs> okay, uh, Jonah Bloom has this question. Jonah says, "Apologies if this has been asked before. It hasn't, Jonah. 
Uh, and to be honest, it wasn't something I was aware of. It's a fascinating one. Uh, Johnny says, I've got some questions regarding the transfer of Colin Kazim Richards. In 2006, he was signed by Brighton after a fan won a Coca-Cola competition where the company would pay up to £250,000 towards a transfer of the winning fans club. I understand FFP did not exist at the time, correct? But what would happen if a company tried to do the same thing today? Would it factor into FFP calculations? Can an unrelated company just gift money to a football club? I don't remember this at all, Kieran, but it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is. I, I think provided there is an agreement between the sponsor of the competition and the governing body, which in this case would have been the EFL, um, then that would be deemed to be effectively sponsorship income. So, so what happened uh, in this particular case, uh, Colin Kazim Richards was was 18 at the time, playing for Berry, um, And one of our, our fans, a guy called Aaron Berry, he, he, what you had to do, buy a can of Coke, um, and then you, you got a code and you, and you sent that off. Um, and uh, we were fortunate enough to, to win that. Um, and uh, I, th- I think we paid Berry I think it was 65 grand for Colin Cassian Richards, and the rest was allowed to go towards the player's wages over wow. the life of the contract. So, so you, you could actually spend less in terms of the player. Um, so that's, that's how it worked at the time. Um, he, he then fell out with Mark McGee, the, the manager, uh, I think it's fair to say he wasn't the only person to yeah. fall out with Mark McGee. I can remember, uh, I think remember when we, when we lost 6-1 at home to Stoke, about seven or 8,000 people fell out with Mark McGee <laughs> on, on that particular day. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting issue from Jonah in, in the sense that, uh, you know, is there scope for a bit of creativity here? Um, potentially. From, from a club, you know, it could have a some sort of arrangement with a sponsor which is linked to the club owner. Um, but, you know, to be fair to both the EFL and the Premier League, they, they tend to be all over these things like a rash these mm. days because, yeah, they've had their fingers burned too often in the past. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question, Kieran, is the second one, which is talking about a subject that we have talked about a lot. But again, I think it's always worth reminding new listeners and old listeners and me uh, about how it works, if we can do so again fairly quickly. And it sure. comes from, um, I'm not entirely sure if this is Michael McCann or Michael Macken. Um, either way, uh, apologies, Michael. But Michael says, having been an avid listener to your podcast from the beginning, thank you very much. I'd be grateful if you could explain how the system of parachute payments is operated. For example, take a team relegated after spending at least two years in the Premier League. They would get a central payment of around £100 million. 
does the first year parachute payment apply then or at the beginning of year two in the championship? And I, I have to say, Kieran, for a, a project uh, which will be revealed in due course, I've spoken to quite a few people in football recently about parachute payments. And even people at a high level of football are still confused about how they work. And certainly the lack of agreement about whether or not they're a good thing is incredible. So I don't think we need to get into that here. Yeah. But if you could just, um, in particular, answer Michael's specific question. Certainly. Um, if a club is relegated from the Premier League, and as Michael said, it's been there for two years, um, it's then entitled to three years of parachute payments provided it remains within the EFL. So if we're looking at our trampoline clubs, you know, the likes of Norwich, uh, you know, Fulham, potentially Watford and so on, Bournemouth, if they go straight back up, they only get the first year of the three years worth of parachute payments. And the way that it works is, is as follows. In your first year, having been relegated, you get 55% of the uh, agreed minimum sum for being a Premier League club. So that's the that's the money which is split evenly between the clubs. In your second year, you get 45%, and in your third year, you get 20%. You get quite a lot of that money around about the second week of June. So the, the, the Premier League makes payouts to its members, and therefore its members effectively include those clubs in receipt of parachutes in the second week of June. And then you get a, a, a drip some effectively every month on top of that so so that's how it works if you are promoted back you lose your right to parachute payments because um the, the whole point about having parachute payments is to give you financial support for being in the efl but if you're no longer in the efl and you are straight back uh, in the premier league then then you don't need that additional financial support um i, I think what, what you know what grinds the gears amongst the many things as far as the efl are concerned the efl clubs is that that money which is now not being paid out in parachutes goes straight back to the premier league and is distributed between the 20 clubs i think it's a very good case for saying that the, the other uh, EFL clubs should be the beneficiary of that because it's effectively bonus money. Um, and uh, I think it could be argued that the Premier League has, has quite a lot of money already and doesn't need uh, bonus sums on top of that. Yeah, I know at least two club owners in the Premier League who would disagree with that, Kieran. Oh, oh yes, I, 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 I absolutely. <laughs> just, I, I'm thinking of two in particular. The, the, just putting to them the idea that perhaps Premier League clubs have got enough money already, just, it just wouldn't compute. <laughs> um, Ross Jones has a nice simple one for you, Kieran. I know you'll enjoy this. Ross Jones says, when a club signs a player for a fee on a two-year contract with an option of a third year... Does the club, club amortise over two or three years? The reason I ask is that you mentioned that my team Portsmouth had an amortisation cost of a million pound in 2021. Um, yeah, hi, hi Ross on this. It's it's normally based on, on what you expect to be the case. So quite often clubs won't decide to trigger the, the, the extension to the contract until that final year because in, in the, you know, the player... The player might get injured, you know. The player might suffer a loss of form, um, and so on. So you would normally amortise over the the shorter period of the contract. Um, but if you if you do trigger the option uh, in the first year, um, it's always amortised over the remaining 
probable length of the contract. If you trigger that extension, you're, you're effectively committing yourself to a longer contract. So therefore, you increase the number of years, which decreases the amortization charge. Mm. Uh, Robert Whitaker has a very pertinent question. Uh, it also does prove that if you ask a topical question, you're quite likely to jump the queue sometimes. Take that up with producer guy. Um, we we would give you his uh, address, but we don't know it. Um, uh, Robert Whitaker says, we, we know that there's a severe squeeze on income for many people. It's well underway. Has anyone looked at the likely impact upon the broadcasters to show English football and have contractual relations with it? Is any default fault likely and what impact could that have? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's certainly a valid point, uh, Robert. Um, the, the Premier League, the EFL, UEFA, the Football Association, they have, uh, they have people who scrutinise contracts very, very carefully, especially since ITV Digital uh, yeah. and, and yeah. the collapse there. And, and what, ITV did, 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 what ITV did, which is either very, very smart or in the Dick Dastardly school of cunning, um, depending upon which side of the, the deal you're across, they set up a separate company called ITV Digital, um, which to which ITV itself had no obligations to. So when ITV Digital uh, rip, effectively ripped up the contract with the uh, EFL clubs, um, the the EFL clubs had had no redress against ITV itself. So we've seen the collapse of ITV Digital. Um, people also remember that the the Premier League rights were once partially sold to a company called Satanta. They went bust um, as well. So uh, the, the broadcasters will say, well, you know, there are, there are circumstances that perhaps we should renegotiate. The, the Premier League will turn around and says, look, you signed a contract. You've got your honour bound to, to obey that contract. Um, when the contracts are with broadcasters located overseas, as we've seen with the Premier League deal with China, it can be more complex trying to enforce that. And effectively, the, the Premier League had to take a huge haircut with regards to that and, and lost significant funds. And the, the new Chinese deal, my understanding, is, is probably worth around about 10% of the original one, and it's with a new broadcaster. So, um, yeah, broad, broadcasters are, are, are feeling the pinch. They're, they're, they are sort of between the devil and the deep blue sea. That um, they're struggling to hold on to subscribers. If they put up prices, they're more likely to lose subscribers. We've had this conversation before. You know, every every WhatsApp group you're on, somebody's saying, "I've just binned off one of the uh, yeah one of the broadcasters because there's a bloke down the pub that's offered me this." Yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. You know, don't do it myself. You know, I'm, I'm I'm unfortunate. I'm not in that position. It's it's not something I would feel particularly comfortable with. Um, but let's let's not be naive enough to think that it doesn't happen, and the the broadcasters are in an awkward position because if if, if they don't get their pricing right, they run the risk of increased piracy. Um, it is it is against the law. You, you do run the risk um, of, of of sanctions either on an individual basis or you know there's been some some people have been sent to prison some of the people have been organizing this for for pretty pretty long periods of time but it happens mm. i always used to feel sorry for 
Dick Dastardly. Who who knew a pigeon was so difficult to stop? <laughs> I think he overthought it. It's all this nab him, grab him, shotgun. That's what he needed. Um, <laughs> apologies to anybody under 50. Look it up. Um, Robert McPherson asked this question. When a football club goes into administration and a buyer is found, the creditors get a percentage of what they are owed back. Why don't these creditors get to change their credit into shares at the agreed sales price with the new owner? Right. This this is an issue of uh, insolvency law, uh, which is much broader than necessarily in respect to football. But if, if, if any company, including a football club, goes into administration, the administrators um, only have the right to sell the assets of the club. So, yeah, that could be... That could be the, the the property assets, you know, the the groundsman's lawnmower, the the players' uh, registration rights, and so on. So that that sort of that's normally bundled up and sold to a new owner. Um, the the liabilities, the creditors, stay with the old company. And what happens is that let's say that the creditors are owed a you know, hundred million. Um, the administrators sell the club for sixty. They take out their fees and the fees of all their mates to say that they're 10. So we've got 50 million left over. That money is then used to pay off the, the creditors and they'd end up with, with a, a dividend of, of effectively 50 pence in the pound. Um, now, it could be that the new owners really want to uh, have a good relationship with the creditors, you know, some of them might offer a service or, uh, or something like that, which, which is really essential and there's nothing to stop the new owners from saying to the credit yeah, to individual creditors look i know you're owed you know 25 grand you're only going to get 10 from the administrators or actually the liquidators um we will immediately give you a contract to make up the shortfall uh, but that that's a favor it's not an obligation you just offered up a rather poignant image there, Kieran, of the club going into administration, the 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 lawnmower, the lawnmower being sold. It's just cause maybe that's maybe a little bit sad. Um, uh, Andy Elric is one of our many listeners in the USA. Uh, hello to them all. And he says, I'm a dedicated American Queen's Park Rangers fan who has been enjoying the ability to watch my team through iFollow or QPR Plus, which I think iFollow provides tech support for. I think it's a great product for a wonderful league, one of the most competitive in Europe. My question is, why do they go to such lengths to restrict the way you can watch the games? If I want to watch on my big flat screen TV, I have to plug my computer into one of the HDMI inputs. There's no smart TV app, which seems like a no-brainer to me. Are they afraid of it being streamed in front of large groups? Because it's unlikely that hundreds will gather to watch Accrington play crew overseas and only pay one subscription. Seems a bit silly. Right. Uh, yes, this, this is my understanding. Um, under the current agreement, and this sort of links back to, to one of our early stories, you know, we, the yeah. EFL have an agreement which expires in 2024. Um, and due to contractual restrictions with broadcasters, which the aim here is, is to protect Sky and the other partners that uh, the EFL have. What they don't want is people somehow managing to access... You, you can do this via a, a VPN, um, where you can pretend to be in the US, 
Therefore, you could potentially get to see some of this product. Uh, but the EFL, as part of their request for the 2024 proposals, um, that I suspect that they will move to a more flexible system, which will allow apps. So if you hold on, Andy, uh, hold on for a couple of years and you'll be able to beam effectively direct from your phone or your, your tablet uh, to your uh, screen device. I, I think this will be one of the, uh, it's one of the suites of products that the EFL will be looking to deliver uh, in, in order to make streaming uh, a more convenient process. Yeah, I mean, but the way things are going for QPR, he might be watching them in a different league next season. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Archer has our penultimate question. Um, again, and it's a subject we have talked about before, but I'm happy to revisit, um, which is again, Kieran, his code for let's keep it short. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know how Guy manages to hide his email address when he sends us emails. We haven't even got that. Um, ben Archer says, you've spoken about the financial implications for going up and down the leagues in the UK. But I was wondering about other European leagues. I follow the fortunes of several teams around Europe in cities I've visited, and many of them are yo-yo clubs. So could you give some insight into the ways in which promotion and relegation from Liga and the Bundesliga, Serie A, and the Airtricity League in Ireland can have an impact on club finances? In other words, you know, is it a, as big a disaster relegation from the, the top league as it is here? It, it very much varies. I'll, I'll give a, a couple of examples. Um, first of all, if, if we take a look at the Bundesliga, um, the the German league has a because the Bundesliga is not a breakaway league. Yeah, you know, we, we had all of this this fuss about the Super League being a breakaway. Remember, the Premier League was was the world's first ever breakaway league. Um, so uh, un, under the Bundesliga rules, they have a TV deal which covers the top two divisions. And the money is split 75-25. I think if, if you offered that to the EFL today, um, not only would they snap your hand off, they would then put your hand up uh, on, on a wall and mount it and, and pray to it every day. You know, it, it would be a fantastic deal from their perspective. If we take a look at, uh, if we take a look at Spain, uh, in La Liga, it's, it's more Premier League-like. In fact, it could be argued it's actually worse. It's 90 to 10 in in, uh, in, uh, in terms of La Liga 1 and 2, uh, which is not very good uh, if you are Spanish, those words. Um, so it, it does vary from, from country to country. Um, the argument in Spain is that there is a, there is a much bigger gap uh, between the, the Spanish top and second division than there is perhaps between the Premier League and the Championship in many respects. Um, in, in terms of you know, who, who tunes in, because we, we do have, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Manchester, so I can use this word, we have massive clubs in, <laughs> in the championship, um, as far as I'm concerned. And, and therefore, they, you've only got to look at the attendances. You know, you know, the, the, the EFL championship is what, the fourth or fifth biggest supported league on, on yeah. the planet. Uh, yeah, amazing levels of support. Um, so in, in, in Spain, you're not going to get very much in, in Germany, which yeah, I think there's a lot of things to be learned from Germany, but not, not everything. You know, the fact that one club wins the, the Bundesliga every year is, is, is the one downside of their financial model. Um, it, it's, slightly more, uh, it's slightly more nuanced um, than, than we have over here. I'm glad Ben asked that question, actually, because it's nice to know that I think all football fans have the same mentality. You go somewhere abroad... 
And then for the rest of your life, you'll be interested in the results of the mm. football team, especially if you went to a game there or saw the ground. Uh, and luckily, my German team is uh, Oenie and Berlin. So uh, I've had a great season. Um, our final question, Kieran, comes from Adam Nixon. And I think this is a really, really, Porker. really interesting question. I've got no idea if there's any way you can quantify this or, or qualify it or whatever accountants and, and scientists do. Um but I, I, again, it's one of those questions that we love because it's a simple question. You think, why haven't I thought of that before? And Adam says, I was wondering how the halftime score affects sales of food, beer at halftime. I would imagine the team leading at halftime would make the most sales with celebratory beers for Kevin or a pie for Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to a team losing, you may not fancy that extra drink. I, I have to say anecdotally, Kieran, I've never noticed much difference uh, <laughs> in the bar at halftime in the half weight, mainly because the concourse is so small, it only takes 40 people for it to feel like it's packed anyway. Um, but I'd be interested, I don't know how you would qualify this. I mean, I'm sure some sort of sociologist somewhere would be happy to look into it, but it's it's an, a, a good question, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm effectively going to say that what you just said. I'm going to put this one out to my fellow academics. Yeah. yeah this, is, <laughs> this is something um, which, which I think w- would be intriguing. I, I don't think clubs would have done it themselves. My personal view would be the full-time score impact because, yeah. again, anecdotally from, from my position, if we win, I want to go around and see my mates in the other stands and we will, we will have you know, extra drinks and we will, you know, we're quite fortunate at Brighton that we've got lots of, We've got lots of screens, so you can effectively watch the match that you've you've just been watching. Now, if you know, if we if we've been tated, you know, when, when we lost one 0 to Spurs on on Saturday, I was I was straight out, you know, boom, yeah, you know, I've got, a, I'm, I'm seeing my ass big style. <laughs> so, I, I think it certainly would have an impact upon uh, the level of sales, but, but, and also, you know, if, if if you're if you're being stuffed, half, half the people have left with ten minutes to go, so they're not going to have a drink at full time anyway. Whereas if you win, everybody wants to have a you know a, a minor knees up, and mm. and and you and you need uh, you need you need catering to help uh, help you enjoy that. Yes, I should point out to to listeners that for operational reasons, we're having to do this before the fixtures that just took place this weekend. So oh, yeah. the, la- the last time uh, Kieran played, saw Brighton play, they were losing 1-0 uh, to Tottenham. Um, I, I, I have noticed, Kieran, in this season in particular, more and more people taking their time, and no matter whether we're winning, losing or drawing, more and more people staying in the concourse and taking their time to finish the drink. I don't know whether it's because they feel it's a, a trophy that's been hard won, after a 15-minute queue, so they're not going to just neck it. They're going to savour every minute of it, um, like ice cold in Alex. Uh, but I, that's an interesting one. And I, I'd, I'd be fascinated to see if somebody could do some some work on this because, yeah, I think also most fans of my acquaintance, if, if you win, you can't get to the pub quick enough rather than hanging yeah. around the concourse. But it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I've, I'll tell you what, I might ask, I'll ask Graham in the Porson's Arms whether he sells more beers after we win or after we lose. That's, it won't be a scientific answer, but <laughs> it's, it'll be a start. It's not, an acad- it's not an academic paper. I don't know what you would title it. Bloke asks bloke who runs pub whether he sells more beer after football team wins, but it's, 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 it's an acorn, Kieran. It's an acorn. Thank you to everybody who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, 
go to patreon.com slash price of football. Uh, I should also point out for reasons of openness and honesty that every time I mention the Porsons Arms on any uh, I get a free pint. So it's part of the reason I, I did that little <laughs> diversion. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, uh, folks, uh, thank you so much for your support for the show. Uh, you express it in, in many ways. Um, yeah, we're actually recording this on Thursday morning. I've already been told off once by a listener for, I, I, he said, I, I, I work night shifts and the, apparently the, the podcast normally appears at 2 a.m. Uh, due, due to the way that uh, whoever, whoever presses the button works. And it, and it didn't appear at 2 a.m. And he was most miffed you know, it, it, oh, to, it, to yeah. work without, without our dulcet tones. Um, and also the, the amazing uh, interview that we had with Miles from, uh, from Football Manager. Um, so uh, Patreon is one way of, of showing uh, a bit of love for the show. The other way of doing that is, is, is by giving us a review. It, it genuinely makes a difference in terms of where we appear on the charts. And it's all based on the number of stars you give us. If you want to give us five stars, if you think we're worth five stars, uh, yeah, we, we're always very grateful uh, for that. It, it doesn't matter what you say, although, you know, I'm, uh, as, as somebody that is quite obsessed with numbers, I always look at the number first and, and then, then, I'll, then I'll take a look at the narrative. So you, you could say you would rather have the show presented by Big Sam and Son of Sam. And we would be perfectly <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> so, um, uh, talking of 2AM workers, I used to host uh, a show with uh, Mark Webster, my dear friend, my dear friend, Mark Webster. Um, <laughs> Very lovely there. Yeah, he's, he, uh, the irony being that he don't talk like that. He's, he, he makes he generally makes Ray Winston look like he's Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, <laughs> but we used to do a show called Live and Dangerous on Channel 5, which went out around midnight, um, three nights a week. Uh, it was live, uh, as one reviewer said. I'm not entirely sure what's dangerous about it, unless your fingers are hovering over a plug socket. Um <laughs> But even even to this day, I still get recognised by security guards because they were virtually the only people watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, people go, "Yeah, you used to pass an hour, but that was great. I used to sit in the booth watch you." So, like, was, but, so yeah, still big in the security guard world, Kieran. Um, I think <laughs> Uncle Terry and I are the poster boys for. <laughs> in fact, I think it's probably Uncle Terry is the only person who's been seen by more security guards than I have. But he, he tended to have his face covered. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. The price of football.